Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Friday, the 18th of August, 1950. That was the day Australians were on tenterhooks after learning that overnight in Bellingen on the New South Wales north coast, young British war bride Betty Sara had given birth to the first of her quads. Her baby was still alive, but would the other three make it? World War II destroyed so many lives, but it also reshaped the lives of survivors in ways they could never have imagined. Percy Sara was one such case. Born in Bondi in November 1920, Percy grew up by the beach and became one of those big bronzed athletes of the Bondi Surf Lifesaving Club. If you're picturing Chesty Bond, you're not far off. Percy Sara's life of sun, sand and surf was interrupted by World War II. He enlisted in the RAAF and was sent to England, where he'd serve as a rear gunner with the famous 460 Lancaster Bomber Squadron. During Christmas 1942, while Percy was at a training school near Derby, he met and wooed Betty Holmes, a 21-year-old women's auxiliary Air Force officer who hailed from Middlesex. Betty stood 5'5 and looked a bit like the King's daughter, Princess Elizabeth. On the 23rd of May 1943, Percy was in a Lancaster that was one of 826 bombers sent on a night raid on the important Nazi steelworks at Dortmund. That night, 38 aircraft were lost, including Percy Sara's Lancaster. He bailed out at 23,000 feet, survived and was captured, spending the remainder of the war as a POW at Starlag Luft 3, best known as the Great Escape Camp, and Starlag 357, from which he was liberated in mid-April 1945. Percy Sara arrived back in London and back into Betty's arms on VE Day. They married in July 1945, and he returned to Australia shortly afterwards. Betty sailed down under on a brideship in September 1945, and they settled in Cooler in central western New South Wales, where Percy worked as the town's ambulance superintendent. The couple had a son named Geoffrey in November 1946. In early 1949, they moved to the sleepy little town of Bellingen on the New South Wales north coast, where Percy took another job as ambulance superintendent, and he, Betty and Geoffrey lived in a weatherboard cottage next to the station. Early the next year, Betty had great news. She was pregnant again. Just how pregnant wasn't clear until later in the year. When her doctor's suspicion of multiple babies was confirmed by an x-ray in late July, Betty at first wasn't told for fear that the stress would be too great and endanger her health and that of her unborn children. Yet Betty had already started to suspect something was up because she was so big she couldn't see her feet. Doctors agreed they'd break the news gently. First, they told her she was going to have twins, then more likely triplets, and finally they fessed up that she was going to give birth to four babies. 
As for anxiety about having quads, there was then, as there is now, every cause for concern. At the time that Betty learned what she was in for, just four sets of quads were recorded as having been born in Australia, and tragedy had always followed. The last New South Wales quads had been born in 1930, with only one surviving. Of quads born seven years later in Carlton, Victoria, just one lived. In 1949, all four quads born in East Melbourne had died, and the same went for quads born in Perth in January 1950. Usually these babies died because they were born so prematurely. Remarkably, Betty's pregnancy was uneventful, and she went full term. As she got closer to giving birth in mid-August 1950, journalists, photographers and newsreel crews swooped on Bellingen and packed themselves cheek by jowl into the town's two hotels. Betty Sarah went into labour on the 16th of August and was admitted to the 40-bed Bellinger River District Hospital. There, she'd be attended by three local doctors and a specialist who'd flown up from Newcastle. The next night, Thursday the 17th of August 1950, at quarter past nine, Betty gave birth to the first baby. It was a lovely healthy girl who weighed three pounds nine ounces and who had a good set of lungs. One of the four doctors attending Betty said, quote, I've never been so glad to hear anyone cry. Percy Sarah was allowed in briefly to see Betty. Then he paced the hospital, chain-smoking, overjoyed and anxious in equal measure. He told a reporter from Sydney's The Sun newspaper, quote, It's a beauty. Can that baby cry? Boy, four babies. You wouldn't believe it. If everything goes all right, we'll certainly have our hands full, but we'll get by. If the births are very far apart... I'll be a nervous wreck. On this day 70 years ago, Australians awoke to the news that baby number one had been born and was in an incubator and was so far alive and well. That night, at 8 minutes past 11, the second baby came. It was a boy, a big fella, relatively speaking, at 5 pounds 11 ounces. So, two down, two to go. Betty had now been in labour for more than two days. Lismore's The Northern Star reported, quote, The four doctors attending Mrs. Betty Sarah said tonight that they were hopeful, but no means certain, that the two remaining babies would be born alive. Percy was holding up, but he was increasingly exhausted by all the attention from newspaper men, telling The Northern Star, quote, I'm all right, but the reporters have almost got me beaten. With the two babies taking up all of the little hospital's incubator space, doctors urgently appealed for assistance. The Sun's reporter was only too happy to oblige, knowing this would put his paper in a good position to secure the all-important exclusive rights to the story and pictures. That night in Sydney, the Sun's news editor coordinated for reporters to rush in a radio car to Crown Street Women's Hospital. There, they collected a bulky oxygen machine and raced it to Mascot Airport, where an ANSET DC-3 would fly it north. It wasn't until quarter to six on the evening of Saturday the 19th of August that baby number three was born. She was five pounds, and doctors told Percy, it's a girl, and it's as good as the first. Percy shouted, another girl, you beaut. Six hours later, at ten to midnight, the last baby was born a little boy at three pounds and change. He was small and weak, and doctors told Percy the basics. He's alive. Percy asked how Betty was. She'd endured 80 hours of labour and given birth to four babies. Doctors said, she's all right. The son's man wrote, quote, 
visibly affected, Mr. Sara walked away with tears in his eyes. The Sara quads were all alive, healthy, and would soon be putting on weight. Bellingen, population 1600, celebrated, with people from miles around walking and riding horses over roads that had recently been ruined by floods so they could be part of the party. On Saturday and Sunday, the babies were christened and the names were revealed on Sunday night. In birth order, they were Alison, Philip, Judith and Mark. Frank Packer's Consolidated Press, publisher of the Daily Telegraph and the Australian Women's Weekly, set up a quads fund with donations soon hitting £1,400. Additionally, telegrams, gifts and money poured into Bellingen from all over Australia. Some of Percy's old RAAF mates telegrammed him to say that they thought he'd been killed in Germany until they'd suddenly seen his name splashed over all of the newspapers. Norman Meyer, governing director of Meyer Emporium, cabled from London to offer to clothe the quads for the next six years. The quad story was front page for days in Australia and in England. The Sarah quads sold newspapers and they'd sell magazines. The battle to birth the babies had been won. Now the battle over media rights really amped up. Percy might have been exhausted, but he remained level-headed about this. He and Betty didn't have insurance to cover multiple births, and his ambulance superintendent's salary would only stretch so far now that he and Betty had five mouths to feed. Percy told reporters that he and his wife would consider careful commercialisation of their story, but nothing that would be harmful or exploitative. The bulk of any money, he said, would go into trust for the babies. Also, selling the rights to one organisation meant that Percy wouldn't have to continually deal with competing reporters. The media rights battle lasted the better part of a week, with every major newspaper company in Australia clamouring for the exclusive, and other companies lining up with commercial offers. The various players trudged through Bellingen's rainy streets, huddling under trees to scheme because the hotel walls had ears. On Thursday the 24th of August, the media and company representatives were in a huddle outside the door of the Sara's solicitor. Then Percy arrived, with two reporters from Consolidated Press in tow. The media losers were reported as letting out a gasp. The deal had been done, largely because Betty loved the Australian Women's Weekly. Percy and Betty signed a 16-year exclusive deal with Consolidated Press in return for a reported four-figure lump sum for themselves. More importantly, there'd be lump sums and annual payments for the quads, with this money held in trust, along with provisions each year for their schooling and any medical needs. Percy Cyrus said, quote, My wife and I are very happy that the children's future is assured and that we will be able to give them a first-class education. Our arrangement with the Australian Women's Weekly means that the children can grow up to enjoy everything that we would wish to give them. Betty and the Quads were home from hospital on the 25th of September, two months earlier than doctors had expected. At home, older brother Geoffrey asked his mum, Are we going to keep them all? Betty certainly had her hands full, but she also had a lot of help from local hospital nurses and Bellingen townspeople who'd all come to think of the quads as their own. The Australian Women's Weekly's coverage began before the quads were home, and throughout the 1950s, it would run dozens and dozens of stories, illustrated with photos taken by staff clicker Ron Berg, who'd become known as Uncle Ronnie to the children. 
Readers of the Weekly saw photos of the quads in their big crib, Betty and a nurse wheeling two each in double prams, Jeffrey dressed as Santa, delivering presents to their four stockings, the quads celebrating their first birthday in high chairs around four cakes, two blue, two pink, that had been made in Sydney at the Weekly's test kitchen. The quads graced the December 1951 Christmas issue cover, the cover of a special winter issue three months later, the Mother's Day issue two months after that, and then the next Christmas issue. Every milestone and event was news. First steps, birthdays, trips to the beach, and then to England to meet the grandparents. The quads received messages from the world-famous Dion Quins and were visited by Olympic gold-winning sprinter Marjorie Jackson. In 1954, the Weekly arranged for Percy, Betty and the Quads to meet now Queen Elizabeth when she visited Lismore. The four three-year-olds solemnly rehearsed how they were going to bow to Her Majesty. When the big moment arrived, the boys pulled off their moves just fine, but the girls were panicked by the crowd and burst into tears, with the moment caught by the Weekly's photographer. There were more weekly magazine covers, Christmas 1954, and then six months later showing them off to school for the first time. Six months after that, Christmas 1955 saw a double quad cover because Australia had new quads, the Lux, who'd been born in Bundaberg that October. The weekly's cover showed these newbies, Veronica, Eric, Jennifer and Kevin, watched over by inset photos of the Saras, and of course, Santa. In 1956, the Saras moved back to Sydney, living in Punchbowl, with Percy working as a taxi driver and Betty working at a baby supply store whose owner was all too aware of her publicity value. Being in Sydney then meant the family was in the right place at the right time for TV's launch by TCN9 in September 1956. So it was that Betty Sara became one of the first Australian TV celebrities when she appeared as a contestant on the game show What's My Line, remaining with the program until February 1957. That year, her quads and the Lux also became TV stars when they appeared in an early Vegemite commercial. During the 1960s and early 1970s, coverage slowed down, though the Australian Women's Weekly kept the quads in the public eye, checking in with them with photo features that showed them as teenagers, turning 16, getting their first jobs and celebrating their 21st birthdays. The 13th of August 1975 issue of the Weekly celebrated the quads turning 25 and updated readers on where they were at. Alison was reported as working as a secretary for an entertainment group and was set to marry their stage manager. Philip was a storeman for an electronics firm and had become a born-again Christian. Judy had been overseas for three years, was studying typing and shorthand, and was engaged to a man from Denmark that she'd met at a kibbutz. Mark was a sales rep for the same company that employed Philip and older brother Jeffrey, who'd qualified as an electrical engineer. As for Dad... Percy was still a cab driver and Betty was still selling baby goods. Soon after this Where Are They Now article, Judith got married to her dashing Dane. The Weekly was there, as was Ron Berg, to photograph the celebrations and he was mobbed by the Sarah Quads who'd known him their whole lives. Two years after that, Betty got the surprise of her life when she was the star of an episode of This Is Your Life. When they retired, Percy and Betty moved back to the Coffs Harbour region. Percy was to pass away in 1983. Two years later, in 1985, the Sydney Morning Herald ran an article about Australians who'd been affected by fame. By this stage, Judy was living in Denmark. 
but Mark, Philip and Alison were all interviewed by the Herald and they came across as being very level-headed and down-to-earth. While they said they'd sometimes tired of all the publicity, they were glad for the experience and the opportunities it offered. Alison accepted that the family was, quote, of public interest and we're part of Australian history and that's it. We're so unique because we were the first to survive. Also, it was after the war and people needed something happy. Betty Sara was also interviewed by the Herald and she said she wasn't anyone special. Quote, I mean, anyone can have babies. I guess one's flattered that people are interested enough to know what old Betty Sara's up to. As for what old Betty Sara's up to these days, Speaking with the Senior News in 2016, she said, quote, We have had our ups and downs like any family, but at the end of the road, everything seemed to work out. Betty Sara celebrated her 99th birthday in January this year. Throughout their lives, the Quads celebrated their birthdays on the 18th of August, the compromise date because they came into the world across three days. So, here's wishing Alison, Philip, Judith and Mark very happy 70th birthdays. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.